1: Right now on Fast Regional Route, one day after J.P. Morgan scooped up the carcass of First Republic, more banks are getting crushed. PacWest, Comerica, Western Alliance, does this signal more pain and more failures are still to come? Plus, ahead of the Fed decision, oil sending a major slowdown signal. Crude dropping more than 5% today, dragging the energy sector and industrials sharply lower. A deep dive on the market slide straight ahead. And later, Uber bucking the trend and riding gains into the close. Check getting an education on the impact of AI. And earnings pouring in after the bell from Starbucks, AMD, Ford, and Caesars will go inside the numbers. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ Market Site On the desk tonight, Karen Feinemann, Dan Nathan. Guy Adami and Rebecca Patterson, the former chief investment strategist at Bridgewater Associates. Always good to have you, Rebecca. And we start off with a sea of red on Wall Street. Major indices all down over percent ahead of tomorrow's Fed decision. Investors seeing a more than 80 percent chance. The central bank will raise rates another quarter percent. A big drag in the markets coming from the financials. Both the big bank and regional ETF sinking more than five percent, hitting their lowest levels since late 2020. PacWest, Western Alliance and Comerica among the names down double digits. But it wasn't just the big banks. Check out the big move lower in the oil patch, the OIH dropping six percent, its lowest close since October as crude tumbled back toward the $70 mark. There were a few bright spots though, investors flocking to the safety of gold, both the precious metals and the miners offering some refuge amid the volatility. So it seems there is a trifecta of negativity hanging over this market, the banking crisis not solved, the Fed set to hike yet again, and a new ex date for the debt ceiling now just weeks away, not months. So there's a lot going on here, Guy. It feels like People just want to de-risk here.
2: Not a trifecta you want to win. Yes, that's. I mean, the KRE is at three years low. Bank of America has been whisper of its 52-week low, not trading well. And Dan mentions it all the time. I mean, the banks, the banks are so vitally important. It's interesting when people dismiss what's been going on over the last month or so with the same people that would tell you the importance of banks when things were going really well. The banks are the lifeblood of this country, and regional and small banks are the lifeblood of small and mid-sized businesses. Which again are the lifeblood of this economy. So things are clearly not working out that well. The fact that gold is rallying here should disturb a lot of people. And the fact that the bond market, once again, is showing the volatility that it's had recently is also disturbing. But you started the show by: is there more to come into banks? Absolutely, because it's not just banks now, it's insurers pensions fund, mutual funds, all those things are
3: on the table. And today is a disaster for whatever credibility you thought JP Morgan, the largest, best capitalized, best CEO, for, for what he said yesterday about this stage of the banking crisis, when you look at how it actually spread to money centers, at one point today, I looked down at my screens and I saw Wells Fargo, Citibank, and Bank of America all down about 4%. Think about that on the back of what's going on in regionals. So if right now, if investors don't have confidence in what Jamie Dimon has to say and what JP Morgan are doing to stem this banking crisis that sounds contained, this smacks of what we heard in the Spring of I'm just telling you that and it doesn't have to be that these banks are in a difficult situation these are the major money. It's the perception of what investors think about it. And when you think about just the poor performance that we've seen in other parts of the, the kind of financially oriented, um, you know, parts of the market, it's just not good. The, the areas that Guy just said and then we can kind of extrapolate it a little bit. We've been talking about Blackstone a little bit. We've been talking about this. B-REAP, We've been talking about the gates that they have up and the demands that they have for the capital back. This is six months in a row now that they've actually been over like, you know, right. uh, you know, so so to me, I just don't know how any banker can go out and say that this is contained right now because it's clear. I
1: mean, out. a down 4% move in Wells Fargo, you know, moves like that aren't a big deal. But when you see a PacWest and you see a Western Alliance, you're tr- trading down 20 plus percent. You're trading as if they're the next failures. They're the next shoes to drop. And that certainly doesn't feel like the banking crisis is over. And whether or not it's true, Perception is everything in this kind of market, especially as the exit, you know, you get, have the debt ceiling stuff going on, you got the Fed raising rates, Rebecca, right. so and, much.
4: And the Fed today probably had an early look at the latest SLUES survey, which is not a Dr. Seuss term. It's a senior <laughs> bank officer survey to look at credit conditions and lending. We also got the European Central Bank version of that out for the first quarter today. I'm guessing we're getting the same message from both, which is credit conditions tightening, lending slowing. So the fact that we're getting higher rates, another hike likely tomorrow, plus that pulling back the de-risking within the banks, to your point, it you know, this is trickling through the economy and the small and medium sized businesses are gonna get hit harder.
1: Yeah, we haven't even felt it really yet. I mean, this is just through what, the end of March right. the data? Yep. It doesn't take into account what's going on in it,
5: April. Exactly. And for sure it's gonna be tighter. That is mostly true, although we have seen housing slow. That's been months in the making, right? As the Fed was uh, hiking rates, we saw that mortgages became just too expensive for people to buy new homes. So that has started. But you're right, we haven't seen yet the full effect. And, you know, you can argue, well, the Fed should wait because, let's see, what's the harm? I don't think that's going to happen. I think, you know, they'll probably hike. And I don't know what the language will be. Maybe it'll be we're open to... So it was being ready to pause. I don't know that it'll be more than that. But I don't know. Today seemed really interesting. It's like so they sort of rang the bell. Your point about perception, particularly for a bank, more than any other company, right? We always talk about if Bed Bath & Beyond, if their debt's trading really terribly, the customer doesn't know. They're still going to go right. buy their towels as long as the Bed ba- Bath & Beyond exists. Yeah. It won't exist shortly. But um, so a bank is is obviously a very different Animal. I think we're going to see this bifurcation of money center banks and uh, regionals just continue. And uh, I, I think um, I, I still think that deal for J.P. Morgan was a fantastic deal, but it did really seem like they just sort of rang the bell today. But I don't understand why yields. I don't understand. Is it a slowdown that that was weighing on yields? I don't know. I'm not really sure why yields were lower. Right. Yeah. Uh, Is I, I, it the reception that they're going to turn and, and cut? I think it's the debt the ceiling. I mean, I, debt ceiling, just the debt moving ceiling. in from short term to longer term yeah. to avoid that T-bill uh, T
4: issue. Right. It might, okay. be, it might be partly that. I think, you know, the gold move higher today, even Bitcoin, if if one wants to consider that a safe haven of sorts for certain people. Um, But the move into alternative assets and into safer places to be defensives the same, right? You saw Staples do well today, relatively speaking, I believe. So I think there's there is a story there in terms of where the capital is going and long term treasuries. I hear you on the Fed's not done raising rates. But if you get a decent yield, you're getting nervous about how much equity exposure you have. Maybe you have some cash getting that five percent duration free risk free. And then you have some longer dated.
3: Yeah, I just say this. You know, I had this great conversation with Dan Niles. He comes on the network a bunch, said Tory Fund today. And, you know, he made a great point to me. This is not just about the cost of capital and access to credit. Financial services are about 11% of tech spending, okay? So think about that. What have we seen? We've seen lots of job cuts. We just saw Morgan Stanley with their second round. When you're done firing people, when you've cut to the bone, what do you do? And what did AWS tell us on Thursday from Amazon about spending for cloud services? This is probably when you start to see a pretty... Pretty meaningful deceleration from one of the largest buyers of all sorts of tech services. And and, and I'll just you know make the other point. is like we've also seen a crowding in those names. What were we talking about last week? Microsoft up 10%. There's a $2.5 trillion market cap. So the more crowding away from some of these perceived problem areas of the market into, let's say, some of these um, big, what, what you think are safe sort of names, they become very dangerous. And we're going to get a look on this as far as Apple. They don't have the enterprise exposure. But we're going to get NVIDIA in a few weeks here. And so that's one of the things that's why we try to kind of put some of these things together a little bit, because I don't think Microsoft's guidance reflected that. Amazon's guidance did reflect that. And maybe they're just a month or two behind some of this.
1: Apple held up pretty well today. Yeah. Flight to Ahead quality. It's,
2: that's been the flight to perceived safety for but quite why some is time.
1: Apple flight to quality, but not tef- an Amazon. Tef- just tef- because balance sheet. I,
2: I think it's one of those great balance sheets. That, um, people can wrap their head around their valuation. Although I happen to think it's expensive and we've seen it before a number of times where the market shows weakness, money finds its way into Apple. I'll effort to answer Karen's posit for a second. You know, I think, again, bond volatility is back without question. So a huge move yesterday, significant move today. Flight to quality and a market sell-off in the form of bonds. This debt ceiling, and this is not us fear-mongering if I may. Steve Leisman mm-hmm. was on the Squawk Box this morning, and he said was a White House Correspondent, something over the weekend he White was
1: House at. White House Center.
2: And he okay. said somebody approached him, a senior member of something, and uh-huh. said, you are the network, are not making a big enough deal out of this debt ceiling. You should be a lot more, the market should be more worried about it than it is. And I think Steve actually Agreed with that.
1: Yeah, our next guest is bracing for a really messy time in this market. Michael Schumacher is Wells Fargo's head of macro strategy. Michael, great to have you with us. Um, Your note was really interesting because within it there was sort of a a debt ceiling playbook where you took a look at what happened, particularly with the bond market and, and past debt ceiling periods. And you did find that there was a bid for for longer duration. Correct. So is that part of what we're we're seeing today?
0: I think it is, Melissa. And in our view, at least to Wells Fargo. Janet Yellen's note yesterday that, hey, the debt ceiling could be a problem as soon as June 1st. It spooked a lot of people. So what do they do? They look at what happened in 2011, the really bad case, and say that was risk off in a big way. S&P was down 15 percent in a couple weeks. Treasury yields, including the 10 year, went way down. Let's revisit that. Let's take risk off the table. Let's buy some bonds. I think that's a lot of what's been going on in the last 24 hours.
5: It's Karen. Thanks for being on, Michael. Do you think that any of the economic data, which looked a little bit softer, do you think that we're we're getting some sense of a recession in the last couple of weeks? It seems like maybe a soft landing is a possibility. What do you think is going to happen?
0: Not there yet, Karen. When you look at the data, yeah, it's turned a little bit, but I suspect we'll get pretty strong data on Friday with respect to the labor market. Yes, things have weakened, jolts weakened, I get that. But in terms of the things that policymakers really focus on and most reviewers look at, inflation, unemployment, they're still pretty darn good. So no really visible sign of recession just yet.
4: One thing that I've been struggling with is trying to compare the debt ceiling now with what's happened in 2011. 2011, we were also in the middle of a European sovereign debt crisis. And so when I think about the move in bond yields in 2011, how much of it was the problems we were facing here at home versus a flight to quality that maybe was global, Europeans wanting to get into U.S. Treasuries? Have you been able to parse which is which, give attribution? And and without that in Europe going on, how big a move do you think we could see in Treasuries now? Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. When you think about 2011, yes, Europe was blowing up. Italy, 10 years, traded at 7% for a while. But when you look at these historical periods, whether it's now versus 2011 or some other time, there's always something different. So today, what do we have? We've got regional banking problems. Didn't really have those back in 2011. So do those outweigh Europe for the U.S. investor? I'm not really sure. So it's tough to try to separate those effects as far as how much yields could move. Could the 10-year Treasury yield fall 25 to 50 basis points if things got really rough? Absolutely, we think it could. Is it super likely? Maybe not, but that could happen. So I think it's, it's difficult to distill those effects. But thinking about that 80, 90 basis point move back in 2011, half of that, two-thirds of that, could that happen again? Yes, we think so.
1: When you think about what the Fed might do and the path it might take, so beyond tomorrow's decision... Uh, Does any of this factor in in your mind, Michael, or is it just the data and what you think the Fed wants to do?
0: Yeah, The Fed's in a tough spot. So the Fed now has the debt ceiling, which cropped up. It's a political event, not something the Fed can really influence. And yet it does impact Fed policy. So that's one thing. As far as banking troubles, to what degree is the Fed maybe a little bit responsible, which is some of the tone that came out of the Silicon Valley assessment, and the huge increase in interest rates contributing to that, it's tough to say. So the Fed's not completely a bystander in that case. But I take the point, the Fed's got a lot of crosswinds to try to assess. So in a full-blown banking crisis, with the Fed hike? No, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But if the debt ceiling is becoming a little bit more intense, or perhaps a lot more intense, would the Fed go one more time? I think it probably would, and then perhaps signal, hey, we've done a lot. Inflation's still out of control. It's coming down, though, but it's well above our bounds. We want to see it give a bit more time to the rate increases we already have in place. I think that's probably the messaging the Fed would like to get across tomorrow. It's going to be a really tough job, though.
1: We know the Fed has said in the past it doesn't care what the stock market does, and I I get that point. But at the same time, when you see how some banks have traded today, I don't know if there is a full blown banking crisis in reality, but the perception is, is that there could be one brewing right now. Which do you think the Fed looks at the perception because perception. in in the, you know, a month ago was everything when it came to that deposit flight.
0: Right. Yeah, the perception can lead to reality, right? So I think the Fed has to be aware of both and it can look at regional banks down a fair bit today and say that's kind of a worrying signal. Should we be super concerned about that or is that normal volatility? Perhaps it's a bit more than normal. So I think the Fed takes that into consideration. Does it really count as an enormous crisis right now? Tough to say. Probably not with the rescues that have been done to date. But I think the Fed is weighing those things pretty carefully.
1: Michael, thank you. Thanks for your time. Michael Schumacher, Wells Fargo. I don't know, down 28% for a a regional bank in one day. (laughs) It seems way out of the bounds of normal volatility. It's a
2: crisis for shareholders, but it should not, mean, You know, again, I don't think that should be in the purview of the Federal Reserve. If stocks go down, I mean, that's just what happens. When stocks go up, nobody seems to bat an eye. So that's number one. Number two, yeah, the Fed is in a difficult position that they put themselves in. It's unfortunate, but here they are. And, you know, the Bank of Canada tried to do what they call a hard pause. I don't even know what that means, but it didn't work out particularly well. So what does that mean? Well, they're going to try to navigate this. The gold market, though, if you pay attention and you sort of led with it, is telling you, that you know what, there are things going on. And I'll say this. People might be bullish of gold in homage to Dennis Garmin. They're not long of it yet. Look at the commitment of traders. And when those machines get triggered, that's going to be the next leg to this gold move higher.
3: Yeah, given everything we know, and look at, you know, it's not just banks here. Look at those proxies for growth in general. Look at crude oil. It was trading at 81 like a week ago. It's 71 right now. Look at what happened to the equities there. I don't think the Fed really cares about the stock market right here. I think they care on the about the effects of the economy here. So the s and is up 7% in the year. Actually, I think they'd be happy to have it down a few percent or something like I that. I totally agree yeah, with that. Yeah, you know,
4: I totally agree with that, that the Fed is trying to get financial conditions to tighten mm-hmm. Here to date they haven't done that so while they might not like the speed of this move the volatility of it and the cause of it Overall, are they going to be concerned the stock market's falling right now? Not at all.
3: It just seems like one of the last pockets of enthusiasm of this period that we had in the post-pandemic period. And I'll just say this. If you go out and you buy stocks because you think that it was a dovish hike tomorrow, you were just doing this wrong. And guys said this about 50 times over the last two months or so. The only reason the Fed is going to lower interest rates right now or any time between now and the end of the year is if we really do have a crisis. And that's not when you want to be buying risk assets. If you look at the S&P, trading 19 times earnings in this environment with the Fed funds, it's about to be 5% with inflation where we are. And we also know that if they are to lower interest rates for any reason, then you've been saying this again, then, then the inflationary stuff that we're trying to battle, like this whole thing is about like taking out all these regionals unintended, okay, is just lost. It's all for naught. And then you have a confidence in an institution that doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of credibility over the last few years.
5: I'm sorry. Say the last part again. You're saying you have confidence and you don't have confidence in the Fed. If
3: they cut, cut interest rates. Oh, if
5: they cut, understand, oh, they cut. understand. Yes. Right. Yeah. Something bad right. will have happened. For sure. I think right. they're going to be slow to cut. If whatever the bad thing yeah. happens, they're not going to be out there cutting right away. And no, they're, they're trying. trying to bifurcate. Yes. Right. They have the financial
4: mm-hmm. stability tools and the monetary tools. So if something bad happens. The first order is going to be what can we do with regulation? What can we do with special provisions to try to shore things up, provide liquidity, even temporary QE? Um, a Fed cut is
5: going to be the last resort, right. especially with inflation here. Well, that that makes sense. I, what we see maybe stagflation. That'll be a terrible situation for the Fed. Hopefully, we don't get there. I mean, if you talk about uh, you know oil coming down, some of the other commodities are coming down as well. I think on our call you talked about gasoline today. Mm-hmm coming down a lot. All those are good things. It's it's what they this was. This was sort of the collateral damage they were willing to accept and right. needed to accept. Right. They couldn't say, well, we're fine with inflation. We'll just let it go. I we to keep the party going. Yeah. All right.
1: Up next, a huge slate of earnings action still to come. Starbucks, AMD, Caesars and Ford all on the move after reporting results. The details from the quarter straight ahead. Plus, Chegg getting sliced in half. Shares nearly down uh, 50% just today. How the AI boom is already taking a big bite out of this company. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money in two Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on Starbucks. Shares in the red despite a beat on the top and the bottom lines fueled by stronger same-source sales in China. The earnings call just kicked off at the top of the hour. Kate Rogers has been listening in. Kate, what's the
9: latest? Hey, Melissa, you said at Starbucks, beating on the top and bottom lines, big same-store sales numbers here. Growth up 11 percent overall, 12 percent in North America, and China in particular, as you mentioned, showing comp growth of 3 percent. That's key because it's the first positive comp for China since Q1 of 2021. China was a challenge last quarter due to ongoing COVID lockdowns. Store traffic also has surpassed pre-pandemic levels in the company, company's busiest day parts in the United States, which is also key. This is the first quarter we're hearing from new CEO Lock Sportsman Narasimhan as Howard Schultz stepped down on March 20th, although important to note, Schultz was still leading the business this quarter. On the call, Narasimhan said there are more opportunities to do better with in-store efficiencies on things like supply chain. He was positive on meeting customers where they are, whether it's in stores, drive through and more. He was also touting the reinvention plan put in place by Schultz, saying that the company's really only just scratched the surface. They're just getting started. Starbucks CFO Rachel Rogeri will be on Squawk Box tomorrow morning, so tune in for much more there. Back over to you.
1: All right, Kate. Thanks, Kate Rogers. Uh, Karen, what do you make of Starbucks?
5: Um, those aren't terrible numbers at all, right? We were just talking here in the break about. I mean, very similar to McDonald's. Excellent comps to sale numbers, but when you're priced as they are and as Starbucks is, that's not. It, it's hard to believe. Up 12, not good enough, right? It, it's uh, so at almost twice the market multiple. I just think it's too expensive. Yeah.
1: What were you saying a, a tall latte cost you today?
4: $5.39. So I did a little reconnaissance mm. before the show today. <laughs> I live on a block in New York City with six coffee places on a block. Starbucks has a little premium. There were 15 people in the store this afternoon. What, what it tells me, not on the should I buy or sell this stock, but on the, the economy level, what the Fed is dealing with, what we're thinking about macro, is that consumers are still willing to have their little luxuries. Like the, the prices have gone up, and they're still buying the coffee. That's what the sales are telling us. And I think as long as that's the case, it's hard for us to really flip over into that recession dynamic.
2: North American operate i mean, North America is, I think, two-thirds of the revenue. So the operating margin, 19.1 percent. It's a staggering number. Overall, 14.3 is still much better than I think the 10 the street was looking for. To your point, the margins are there problem is the valuations there as well. I think it's close to 30 times next year's numbers. Now, this time last year, $70 stock. It's rallied a lot that, that that means anything. But we failed to take out the all-time high. So one has to question if you can still own it in this environment. And we talked about it, I think, last week. This is when you probably wanted to pare down in earnings It proved to be correct. It's
3: funny. I did a little reconnaissance before the show,
2: too.
5: I went really? to the
3: bar around the corner. Johnny Walker
5: Black <laughs> is still $20 a
3: four, and I did two. No,
2: you didn't. That's, great. That's um, it.
1: Two doubles two doubles yeah okay,
3: yeah.
2: okay. <laughs>
1: sorry about
3: this. on the rocks
2: i hope you don't do johnny black neat McAllen neat. I know that's Macallan your thing. Need. Yeah, sorry. And please continue. was her. Thing. Anyway, What?
1: Well, yeah. Uh, we've got another earnings alert. This one on AMD. Shares of the chipmaker sinking after hours in spite of both EPS and revenues, topping expectations, data center revenue, which makes up more than half of the company's overall revenue, coming in slightly below estimates. Christina Parks Nebulis joins us to break down the numbers. Christina.
6: Yeah, it's true. They did beat on the top and bottom line, but revenue overall fell 9% year over year, driven by weak client revenues, as well as some of that weakness in data center. The chip maker actually expects that weakness to persist next quarter. So let's talk about client segments. That's the That includes PC sales. That fell 65% year-over-year, but Lisa Sue on the call right now reiterating Q1 is the bottom for client revenue. Recall that AMD's biggest competitor is Intel, and Intel reported a 36% drop in revenue on continued PC weakness in its latest quarter as well. So we know that this is a narrative we're seeing across the board. Analysts, though, we're paying close attention to data center revenue which, with embedded revenue, actually contributes more than 50% of total revenue. Sue's saying on the call right now she expects server revenue to remain mixed in Q2. Also saying, quote, that they expect the second quarter revenue will be flattish sequentially with growth in our client and data center segments offset by modest declines in our gaming and embedded segments. So overall Q2 guidance coming in light. So that could be contributing to the sell off we're seeing in the stock. Lisa Sue will be on CNBC in an exclusive interview on Squawk on the Street tomorrow morning. Shares, though, down. Last I checked, oh, look, dropping even more as the call is underway, almost 5.5 percent lower. Melissa? Christina, thanks. Christina Parks Guy.
2: It's a margin, It's a margin story. So this time last year, 31% margins. This quarter, 21%. No bueno. Now, here's something perverse. I have no idea what's going on. I'm willing to bet, though, Intel is higher on the back of this because Intel can say, you know what, our data center wasn't just our data center problem. Obviously, AMD is facing the same thing. So you might see a relief rally in Intel somehow perversely, but I think that's probably going to happen. In the meantime, AMD is probably expensive in this environment. If margins contract, there's no real compelling reason to own the stock
3: listen, some of the data we saw and some of the commentary around PCs, it seems like that's bottom. Okay, so gaming, data center, some of this stuff is going to continue to obviously be at the whims of enterprise spending. So, I mean, they're just telling you right here, this current quarter is not particularly great. And I really think, again, this stock is up 40% on the year. It's up 65% of lows. I think guys point trading at 30 times this year with expected earnings, sales declines, and margin declines. Not great. You start valuing it on the out year next year as we get further into this year, closer to a bottom, and it starts looking attractive again. But again, you know, like if you could get this stock, you know, somewhat it's down five and a half percent now. I mean, let, let's let this stuff come to you a little bit. Is what I'm saying.
1: I mean, if you're in an environment where you want to de-risk your portfolio because of debt ceiling stuff, recession worries, etc., do you want to be in a stock like an AMD, Karen? just because of
5: the high PE multiple yeah. and if, I mean, there's such also a quality or orga- cyclical, cyclical, but such a, a quality organization that I mean, I, I'm willing to sort of withstand some of that gaming actually was was pretty good. And the gaming and better were pretty good. It, uh, it sounded like um, those would be actually she thought a little bit weaker this current quarter. I don't know if she's being a little bit conservative. She might be. Um, it's cheaper than Nvidia. Um, Although everything is cheaper than (laughs) NVIDIA, so that doesn't really tell us anything. I hear you. I I think that uh, the high multiple stuff will get heard, but I don't have a big position here, but I'm just willing to make a bet on her. I do think PCs have bottomed, so I think client has bottomed. And I think they'll continue to get some premium valuation.
1: Coming up, even more earnings on deck. We are digging into Caesars and Ford. The headlines from the conference calls next plus Chegg, taking it on the chin. Shares tumbling as chat GPT booms. The details ahead. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ Market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Caesars Entertainment cutting their losses, briefly turning higher in just the last few minutes despite a big miss on earnings per share. Contessa Brewer has been digging into the numbers for us. Contessa.
8: I think they turned negative because of that big EPS miss. It was a big one-time charge for paying off debt early. But the bigger storyline here, Melissa, is that Caesars just continues to rule the Vegas Strip with record first quarter results. Profit margins here of 48% occupancy is running about 97 percent and on the call tom reek pointed out that the percentage of business that is coming from groups that is conferences surpassed 20 percent and before the pandemic it was about 14 percent. that's important because the conference attendees generally spend more than leisure travelers caesars also made so much money in the first quarter it paid off a four hundred thousand dollar loan from its landlord vici regionals are solid here though reno and lake tahoe dragged on the results because they had so much snow in the first quarter and just really struggled with visitation there and the CEO is doubling down on his prediction that sports betting will hit profitability this year. The digital business that includes sports and iGaming lost only $4 million. Last year you're talking about losses, first quarter, half a billion bucks. And on the call, Rieg said this segment is churning a profit year to date. So that really gives investors something to chomp on here. One last note, we aren't seeing any indication either in the report or on the call of looming recession or consumer pullback in any segment, Melissa.
1: Contessa, I'm curious, usually um, for conferences, they book you know, a year out. I'm wondering if there's any indication or at what point do we understand, will we understand if this is repeat business or if this is sort of part of that boomerang that we saw um, when individuals were traveling a lot? It's not, okay.
8: Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not repeat business. They've said that this is a far more packed calendar than they've had before, in part because they opened a new conference facility called the Forum right before the pandemic. So they now have new facilities that they never had before to host higher end. It's a smaller, more intimate space for conferences, and those tend to spend more. So they said this is, it's not really comparing apples to apples for what Caesars did before the pandemic. All right, Contessa,
1: thanks. Contessa Brewer.
8: I'm dying to jump in on this because
4: this this is a coyote going towards an edge of a cliff, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. not the company. I don't want to talk about the fundamentals of the company, but what's driving this is discretionary business spending. It is consumers and households that still feel good tapping those credit cards. And with what we're seeing by the Fed and by the banks pulling back and layoffs starting to broaden, it's just a matter of time. I mean, you're not going to keep going with business conferences right. when you have to lay off workers.
1: That's why I was asking about at right. what point do we see more bookings for next year? Because I would imagine that next year people might not want, be wanting to book conferences yeah. out
5: at right. this point if there's going to be layoffs. Or this year it was the first one in person that right. they've done, so and so let's, they really let's right. go right. for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the one and done. Right. Right.
2: And the optics around conferences in the midst of layoffs with unemployment that's probably going to be rising, but it's not particularly good. Caesars is an an interesting story. It's a fine quarter, but look at the stock over the last year. I mean, this time last year was a $45 stock. Magically, it's still a $45 (laughs) stock in the midst of a win going from 70 to 115, and Las Vegas Sands having a similar type of move. So I guess my point is there are better places to be, but I'm with RP on this one. I mean, it's just a matter of time before Wild E Coyote uh... goes off that cliff with the Acme Dynamite strapped on his back. (laughs)
1: Coming up, two stocks bucking the market downtrend in a big way today. What had investors flocking to shares of Uber and Molson Fours? We've got some answers next. And Ford and Simon Property also out with results. The details from the quarter straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks selling off as banking concerns linger and investors await tomorrow's Fed decision. Some bright spots, though. Uber jumping nearly 12 percent, its best day since November. The CEO saying Uber is off to a strong start to the year. Molson Core is also beating earnings estimates. Stocks seeing its highest close since 2019. All right. Meantime, Ford shares lower after its latest earnings report. The automaker beating on both the top and the bottom lines, maintaining its 2023 guidance. Phil LeBeau has been on the call. He's got the very latest. Phil.
7: And Melissa, in this call, which is about halfway through, the Q&A has just begun. And Jim Farley is pretty emphatic, very emphatic, I should say, that the company is in a form uh, essentially remaking itself. And it is not only going to hit these projections, but it is going to remake the business. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. You mentioned that they beat the street on the top and the bottom line, beat it by a wide margin, earning 63 cents a share. The street was at 41 cents a share. And then there's the performance of each of their divisions, $2.6 from the... Internal combustion engine business—that's Ford Blue. The commercial vehicles in Ford Pro earning 1.36 billion, and the Model E division losing 722 million dollars. Here's Farley on the conference call talking about his plan for that division to get to break even.
3: We're on track this year towards
1: a contribution margin approaching break even in Model E, and for our first generation products to be EBIT margin positive by the end of next year.
7: You mentioned the guidance, Melissa. Yes, they did reaffirm 2023 guidance, earning between 9 and $11 billion, with free cash flow coming in at about $6 billion. And the EV division, which lost $722 million, they do believe that it will lose about $3 billion. That's what they told us about a month and a half ago, reaffirming that guidance today. This all comes on a day when they are lowering the prices. They've announced lowering the prices on the Maki by about 7% uh, as they deal with the price war that is it has been started or is being felt by uh, everybody who is competing with tesla as it lowers its ev prices we're going to hop back on the call melissa but the thing that stands out is jim farley is saying time and again we have seen the future in terms of what's going to drive the bottom line and it's software software for the vehicle software so you can bring the customer in now we've heard that from other automakers He's explaining how he believes that they will get to that point. It's not just about building cars and trucks and whether or not you can do that profitably. It's about the recurring revenue that is going to be tied into that vehicle on the software side of things. Melissa, back to you.
1: But, Phil, let me understand. So they beat on adjusted EBIT by about $800 million, but they're not raising their own guidance. They're just standing by the previous.
7: They're standing by the previous guidance, which raises the question, Melissa, what are we going to see later this year? And everybody in the industry has said, look, you're going to see prices come down. It's going to be a little tougher in the second half for everybody. Yep.
1: Phil, thanks. Keep us posted. Phil LeBeau. Guy. The even
2: margins for Ford Model E were negative 102 percent. So they got a long hill to climb. And in terms of, you know, it's interesting to hear software is going to. So give the cars away. It's that whole model. Make the car a the loss leader. Laser 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 That's yeah, exactly right. Why not? I mean, maybe I'm onto something because clearly nothing else seems to be working in terms of the stock. Series of lower highs, lower lows since this time last year. That sort of 1075-11 levels held a couple times. So if you're looking to trade the stock, it's probably about as good a level as you're going to get. But man, oh man, it's been hard slog for Ford shareholders.
1: And we were just talking mm-hmm. about Morgan Stanley's upgrade of GM the other yes. day. Right? Well,
5: it's interesting in that both GM and Ford, they don't get any, they don't get any real valuation for their right EV business. Mm-hmm. They don't get any valuation, not none, but not enough valuation for their ICE I- business, internal combustion engine. Put them together, and then you have two companies trading at, you know, very cheap PE's. One day I think that will normalize. Coming up, shares a
1: check, getting schooled. will write down what caused the second biggest drop in its trading history. We got the details straight ahead. Do not miss CNBC's virtual financial advisor summit on June 15th. Investment experts including Rebecca Patterson. Ooh. We'll discuss market risks, buying opportunities and how advisors can generate consistent returns amid the volatility, scan the QR code to register or visit cnbceventscom financialadvisor We'll check plunging nearly 50 percent for the stock's second worst day on record. The edtech company issuing weak revenue guidance saying AI tools like ChatGPT are hurting subscriber growth. CEO Dan Rosenzweig said this on CNBC just in the last hour.
0: ChatGPT is often wrong, and it's not going to be right anytime soon. The reality is we're not seeing any impact on our renewals, any impact on cancels. This is literally um, people that historically probably wouldn't have wanted to pay but would have. Uh, And we just saw it, and we said, let's just do it quarter by quarter. And so this is significantly overblown, in
7: our opinion.
1: Shares of Chegg now trading at lows not seen in six years. Um, he had met with the OpenAI CEO. They're going to have their own sort of CheggMate AI sort of thing coming along, and yet still, the stock reaction.
3: Yeah, so you know maybe this is a little uh, baby with the bathwater here. I mean, Dan Rosenwag, he's been around tech for a long time. He's not likely to miss, I think, a, a big move like this. But I think there's a lot of near-term hype around this, and I think it's interesting what he said about renewal rates versus somebody who might do a search for something, and now they have this free sorted tool, OK? It's a tough play right here, right? Because again, I mean, is there valuation um, support? Yes, I mean, possibly if numbers don't get incrementally too much worse. I think one of the things i just take away is that, you know, in 2020 and 2021, when interest rates were re- like really low, all of these lending platforms, we were talking about Upstart and some of these other FinTech companies, they were like benefiting from the use of AI tools and their right. lending practices and, the, and then they all crashed and then they were like down 90%. So this one's also down 90% and it's feeling the opposite effect of it and coming at it so to me, this is probably a bit overdone and I think that he'll probably find a way to turn this around a little bit.
1: What does that chart look like to you? Well, it's a, grim, I mean, death.
3: <laughs> grim death.
2: I mean, this was 10 <laughs> times the stock, I think, in February of 21. It makes sense what's happened. But in terms of trading volume, it traded 50 million shares today. Typically, trades three. You flush a lot of people out. It's probably up in the aftermarkets, is my sense, just on some sort of relief rally. This is one of those things you can trade around. The future does not look particularly bright. But if they can figure a way to integrate all this AI into their platform, maybe this is a buy at these levels.
1: Coming up, all eyes may be on the Fed decision tomorrow. But there's another data point that could tell the true tale of where the bond market is heading. We'll tell you what it is after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Markets. I've been hyper-focused on tomorrow's Fed rate decision, but there's another data point you should watch. Before the bell tomorrow, the Treasury will announce the types of bonds it plans to sell to fill the massive deficit. Our next guest says the bond market will be paying close attention. Let's bring in Damp Spring Advisor CEO, Andy Constant. He was previously a chief strategist at Brevin Howard and an idea generator at Bridgewater Associates. Andy, great to have you with us.
10: Melissa, thanks for having me.
1: So what does this data tell you exactly? And what do you do with it?
10: So, tomorrow we're going to get the composition of what the Treasury is going to issue. But stepping back briefly, the um, at 3 o'clock yesterday, we got the quantity, and that quantity was extremely large and signaled that the deficit is rapidly increasing, and which has implications on the debt ceiling, and also that there's just a... a approximately 1.2 trillion dollars of bonds that are going to be sold between now and the end of september
1: so tomorrow, when you get this data, okay sorry to when you get this data what are you looking for exactly and right. how does that inform your sort of trading strategy
10: sure so tomorrow we'll find out what the composition of that 1.2 trillion dollars of bonds is and that could be all bills which would have very limited implication on markets. Or it could be weighted heavily to treasury bonds, which would have quite a bit of implication to uh, bond yields as you tried to uh, attract you need to attract new bondholders um, with higher yields.
5: So Andy, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Do you in positioning yourself in front of this because that number is so big? Is there anywhere on the curve that you want to be over a different part of the curve? Or do you just want to be out of bonds until we see this come to market?
10: Right. So it's a contrast with the potential debt ceiling and the implication that we you talked about earlier in the show regarding going long bonds and this very heavy supply. Uh, so I'll be looking at the number. Um, I expect a number that over the next two quarters, they are going to be at least 350 billion of bonds, as compared to past quarters where there's only been 250 billion. But that number, given the size of the um, total needs of 1.2 trillion, could be as high as 500 billion. And that would affect uh, the long end of the curve fairly significantly.
4: Andy, one of the things that is also coming up around the debt ceiling is the potential for another credit downgrade for the United States. We had S&P downgrade the U.S. in 2011. We've seen some comments from senior officials at Fitch uh, suggesting that they are considering a downgrade. How would that play into your view on bonds? So if we have more supply, all else equal, pushing yields up, flight to quality with a debt ceiling and, uh, and recession fears pushing yields down. What would another downgrade two out of three mean for buyers and sellers, in your view, or does it matter?
10: Sure. So I was actually sitting at Bridgewater um, looking at that in 2011 when uh, the downgrade happened. And it had significant implications um, to uh, the short end in particular um, with bills um, that were after the debt ceiling uh, um, was going to occur, um, trading at a significant premium. Um, any sort of downgrade to me seems uh, premature and the rating agencies will probably, in my view, will wait until they a- the actual drama of a government shutdown occurs, um, given the mistakes they made in 2011.
1: Andy, thanks so much for joining us.
10: Pleasure, Melissa.
1: Andy Constan. How do you think about investing in the bond market at this point in light of all, all the cross currency mentioned?
4: Yeah, I mean if china's reopening fades and europe's growth slows it wouldn't shock me to see more foreign demand for u.s treasuries coming back into the fore and that demand helping to offset some of the supply that andy was talking about potentially um, at the same time we are seeing while central banks in general are continuing to buy u.s treasuries certain central banks of countries that the u.s isn't as friendly with are, are do appear to be pulling back and so even if we don't have a default, if we get too close to that cliff, we have another Wiley E. Coyote moment. Um, if we did get too close we have a technical default for a day or two, that might be enough to spook some of the central banks. Obviously, it's a PR tool. I mean, think about some of the other economies and the policymakers that could use that and say, this is why we don't have a capitalist system. This is why we don't have a political system like this, because it doesn't work. So there's going to be a lot of policy and political ramifications from this, as well as market. But the big deal to me is that bond vol and stock vol are highly interconnected if we start to see the move index bond volatility going higher from here with all of these cross currents i think you're going to see more pressure upward on the vix
1: let's get one last check on the regional bank route today led lower by PacWest. investors continue to worry about the group's solvency these names are also some of the most active stocks among options traders who made some big bearish bets Mike club's got the action mike
2: yeah kre the regional banking etf traded uh, over three times its average daily volume and The Russell 1000 regional banks, there's 26 of those, traded six times their average daily put volume, and the busiest of them was PacWest, which traded more than 11 times its average daily put volume. The most active contract was the weekly five-strike puts. We saw buyers of over 13.4 thousand of those paying about 53 cents, quite a lot, more than 1% or so of the strike price, considering that they expire this coming Friday. But buyers of those puts obviously think that the worst may not yet be over.
1: Mike, thanks. Mike Coe. For more options action, tune into the full show. That's Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade. Rebecca Patterson.
4: We have one week before the debt ceiling X date, potentially, for all Congress and Biden be together.
5: It's going to get ugly. I like buying gold. Karen. Yes, it's sort of along those lines. I like buying the S&P puts. Today was down a little, but relative to the run we've had, I think there's still more to come.
3: Dan? Yeah, kind of along those lines. I like buying the TLT, the iShares 20-year on Treasury. ETF.
5: Gonna-
2: Difficult <laughs> night for me last night, Mel. The Rangers, Rangers went down now, in Game yeah, 7. Uh, I know you were devastated. Congratulations to the Devils and their fan base. I'm with RP, Newmont Mining.
1: Thank you for watching Fast 1. You'll we'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with you Cramer Kramer starts right now. warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.
8: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday
4: and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.